where uh, everyone is stereotypically fit into a category or a group based on what you're wearing or what job you have or where you live or even your skin color or whatever the thing is. All we've done is, in, instead of making things better, really all we've done is given more categories of people to dislike because of the way they look or dress or act or whatever. Um, it's been interesting for sure. And unfortunately, we, we know the answer um, to that, to cure all of that. <laughs> we really do because um, we're all one in Christ. We just need more folks to join us, and that's our role. This is the final week in our series on Jonah. We have some fun things coming up next week's VBS Sunday where, where I get to talk about uh, what, what we learn throughout the week and what we teach the kids. It's so important um, for you to know that. But I want you to think about this as we get started this morning. Um, this week ahead, this week ahead is an exciting time for our church, obviously. But our goal is just to reach out to whoever will respond with the love of Christ, the truth of Jesus. Children will literally be coming from all around the community, and somebody, probably somebody's, will hear about Jesus for the very first time. That happens every single year that churches gather to do something like a VBS, and they're going to learn that Jesus absolutely loves them, and they're going to learn the truth of Jesus, that he created them, and ultimately even that he died for them, and that he wants to spend forever with them. This message that God gave Jonah so many years ago is still just as relevant today, and it is in full swing in this week ahead. And a lot of you have signed up to help. Thank you for that. We greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that. If you were unable to physically be here in person, would you please, would you please, from 630 to 830, commit to spending some time in prayer during that time. Pray for the kids that are coming. Pray for the parents, grandparents, whoever, families, whoever it is that's going to be dropping them off. And just specifically pray that God will plant the seed that grows into a lifelong relationship with Him. We want to develop a relationship with every single person that we come in contact with this next week. And I mentioned it a moment ago, but next week is, is a VBS Sunday. We're going to invite all the kids and parents back. Some of them will be people you do not recognize and I'm going to tell you what they learned throughout the week. It's important to know, what are we teaching our kids? And sometimes if you're not helping with the teaching, you don't know. Because some of our kids don't do the best job of telling us even when we ask. So this is your chance to kind of get on the inside and get a little follow-up with the kids and what they'll learn. And there'll be some faces here you don't recognize. So when you see people you don't recognize next week, please make sure to connect with them. And thank them for allowing the privilege we had to be with their kids throughout this past week. All right? Nothing more important for the parents or grandparents to know how much we love their families. It can make a lasting impression on them. All right? We understand. We've got to understand something that's very important here is we've got to have a heart for other people. It's just that simple. We, we don't have a choice but to do that. And until we see their need, until we experience their need, until we feel their need, until we have relationships and conversations with those people outside of the fellowship, then we're never going to be able to love them forward into a relationship with Jesus. So that's on us. That's on us. Let's pray for this week of VBS ahead, shall we? Father God, only you know, only you know who will come in these doors throughout this next week. We focus on the kids, and we should. We should. We're going to get a chance to share your truth with them this week, and we pray that, that minds are enlightened, that, that hearts are transformed, that people, their eternities are changed. That can happen at the youngest of ages as that seed is planted but Father, there's going to be parents dropping kids off, have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. 
parents that have turned their back on the church, parents that think they have left Jesus behind, that maybe the Jesus they knew as a child. There's going to be people that, that stop in that have never heard the truth of Jesus, people that are struggling in life right now, and someone here is going to be able to have a conversation with those adults that visits, and that conversation might end up turning into a, a two-hour conversation, and it might turn into some prayer, and it might turn into some looking into your word for truth and for guidance for those individuals. We just pray that you provide those opportunities and that none of us are too busy to be able to seek out those moments with those adults that might stop by, who need to experience your love firsthand throughout this next week. Father, your impact, Father, you can change someone's eternity in an instant, and we're going to have many of those instances ahead of us this next week. Be with us. Keep us all safe. I pray that everything goes perfectly in your eyes throughout this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we go. We're going to dive into the final week of the book of Jonah. I want to set the stage just to review those first three weeks very quickly here. We introduced Jonah. We introduced his dislike for the people of Nineveh. Ultimately, we revealed his whole motivation for not wanting to go to Nineveh in the first place. It's a key part of our text for today. It's Jonah chapter 4. Beginning in verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall, tried to delay, tried to keep from going to Nineveh. I went the other direction of Tarshish. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were slow to anger and abounding in love. All those sound like such good things, don't they? A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Some people would say that about serving at VBS. It's not true. It's not true. He simply didn't want God to be God. That was Jonah's biggest issue. Paul writes to Timothy about this reality in 2 Timothy 2.13. He said this to Timothy, if we are faithless, guess what? He, God, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. Now, it might sound a little confusing to say this way, and I realize it's a double negative, so English teachers, I beg your forgiveness. But God cannot not be God. He just is. And Jonah is forced to realize that God is the God of the Ninevites as much as God is the God of the Jews. He's the God of all mankind. And even today, no matter how people, how many ways people can find to deny God's existence or what people seek to replace God with, he is still God over all creation. And so as Jonah fled from God, he was confronted with the consequences of his decision to disobey. His choice brought suffering not just upon himself, but upon the poor sailors and the cargo and everything else aboard that ship. Ultimately, they nearly lost their lives, all of them, because of the storm that Jonah had caused. Ultimately, what happened though? Well, God's power and his grace and his mercy were on display for everyone to see, including the sailors. They witnessed what they thought was a sacrifice. They thought they had sacrificed Jonah to the gods of the sea to calm this great storm. What they realized was that Jonah's God was actually way more powerful than they even could have imagined. Now, it doesn't disclose in this book, but I have so many questions about this. And for those of us, that, how many of you have ever said this? I can't wait till I get to heaven because I want to ask God, fill in the blank. Raise your hand if you've ever said that to yourself. Okay? You do realize you're not going to do that, right? It'll all, it won't matter, you see? It won't matter. So you won't have... But these are, these are some of the questions that, that I would have. It doesn't disclose in this book whether or not the sailors ever knew of Jonah's survival. 
or that he was eaten by a great fish. Imagine this. You're watching from the boat deck. You've thrown Jonah off. The storm instantly ceases, and then you see this giant fish eat the poor guy you just threw in. What are you thinking? Man, that guy had it coming. Holy cow, what did he do? What bad luck, right? I mean, my goodness, it couldn't get any worse for him, could it? I'm always going to challenge you to imagine being part of the story because that was a reality. They could have potentially witnessed that. We don't know what they saw. But as things unfolded, you know, those men, those men eventually came back to Joppa, the port that Jonah got on the boat in. Do you ever suppose they heard rumors about a guy (laughs) that survived and scratched their head and went, you don't surely, nah, you know, Sailors tell big tales, right? So you know that that story spread far and wide. What would you have thought when you returned to that port when those men came back and they knew the power of this God, and now they're hearing that he saved that man that they threw overboard? Mind blown. What would they have done? Because there's going to be rumors about Nineveh, too, that spread across that entire region as a result of what happens in chapter 4. What would you have thought? Last week, Jonah was released from that great fish with the incredible story to share. Jonah had prayed, and within that text, he reveals to us an eternal truth about our God. Salvation is from the Lord, Jonah 2.9. Jonah had been saved in a miraculous, absolutely miraculous way. And his story, if he went around on the preaching circuit and shared his story, people's lives would have been transformed. They would have been converted to his heavenly father right away. But we don't read about any interactions that Jonah has. When he gets spit up on shore, the next thing we see is him heading to Nineveh. Chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. (laughs) Finally, right? He finally got it. We really don't know how long this process was. We know the three days in the fish. That's it. We, We don't know the whole timeline here. But there's a huge message in just this moment for all of us. God could have chosen anyone to fulfill this mission. God could have used one of the sailors if he wanted. It wouldn't have mattered. He could choose anyone. He certainly could have replaced Jonah but he didn't. He didn't. He gave Jonah another chance. Anyone could have taken the message to Nineveh, but God waited for Jonah to come around. So my question for us today is, what is God waiting on us to do right now? Unless I completely am all in on every single thing that God asks me to do, then there's something that he is patiently waiting for Chris to do. What is it? It might be something that I've tried before and I failed miserably. It might be something that I'm I'm too scared to even attempt at this phase of life. It might be something so far out of my comfort zone that I am constantly telling God, no, no, I, I don't think, no thanks, God, that's not for me. Yet he is still waiting for me. You see, God has your second or third or fourth, you can continue on. He has your next chance teed up and ready for you right now. Verse 3 continues, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took about three days to go through. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 days, 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it says the Ninevites believed God. So a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from greatest to least, put on sackcloth and 
ashes. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued, verse 7. By the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let any, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Yet everyone, everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? Maybe God yet will relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. This incredible transformation, this fact, this event that happened, this is actually the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah. Yet it's not what we teach, is it? We teach this great story about this great fish and the survival of Jonah. That's not the big miracle here, people. The big miracle is a people, a people group repenting of their sins and turning to the Lord. The great miracle is God's willingness to allow this great people to turn to the Lord despite all their unfaithfulness and evil. That is the miracle in the book of Jonah. Why? Why did they turn? What was their reasoning? Was it Jonah? Was he just such a persuasive preacher, that everybody fell on their knees and repented. He just charmed them into believing in his God. I, I don't think that was it. I have lots of reasons for believing that, but my main reason is this. Jonah didn't want them to repent. His message wouldn't have been very convincing from a repentance standpoint, just from a you're going to burn standpoint. He would have been very convicting on that side. He didn't want them to change their ways. He didn't want them to believe in his God. He wanted God's wrath poured out on them. That's what he desired. But they did repent. And it says even the king repented. He humbled himself. He took off the royal robes. He became like everyone else. He declared a fast that he himself participated in. He called out on his people to cry out to the Lord with sincerity. There's verbiage used there that's very important. When the king tells you to do something in empire like that, guess what you did? Whatever he tells you to do. He told them not to do it for that reason this time. The language seems to indicate that he wants them to turn out of sincerity on their own behalf, not because the king said so. Beyond that, the language that's used asks them to turn from their wicked ways. They're referring to specifically the moral depravity, the oppressive force, the evil things that this culture was notorious for. Not just little things. This is a big deal. What changed them? The same thing that changes you and I today. The word of God changed them. Their repentance was real. Jesus affirms that in Matthew chapter 12. You can read that for yourself. We can believe that this great city turned to the Lord because Jesus believed and knew for a fact because he knew the people he'd met them <laughs> in heaven. In verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This last part, this, this part brings us into the last phase of Jonah's story. And honestly, even as a kid when I would hear this story, even though this was never really taught in class, this is always just glossed over. Chapter 4 is just kind of forgotten. This is the most unbelievable part of the entire story. And it's at this point that Jonah finally shares with us that famous passage of why he ran away. Jonah 4 starts this way. But Jonah seemed, to, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. <laughs> and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to delay this whole thing from happening by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate, 
slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) God sparing a nation seemed wrong to Jonah. A full nation repenting and turning to God seemed wrong. And Jonah somehow all along knew this was going to be God's plan. Jonah knew this would happen. That's why he didn't want to go. (laughs) But not only did God spare them, which didn't make Jonah happy, but now Jonah was forever to be now named as the one who took the God of the Hebrews to the Ninevites. (laughs) He's famous for saving them. He didn't want that. (laughs) He didn't want that title. Now, I think that sounds like an awesome title. That sounds like a great thing to be the prophet that took God to Nineveh and spared the entire city. But that's not the way Jonah looked at it. As we'll see, he laments that God chose him, and he even deems it as not fair. God, why'd you choose me? It's not even fair that you chose me to redeem these people. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Conversation. God, Jonah, is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Literally, Jonah went outside to go and pout. Literally, that's what he's doing. He wanted to sit back and relax in hopes that maybe the people of Nineveh would change their mind and not repent, and then God would follow through with the destruction of the entire city, and he wanted to watch. It's kind of a sad commentary. Maybe they weren't serious. Maybe God will go ahead and destroy them anyway. He builds a tent, he builds a little makeshift shelter, and he waits. Now, I want you to consider this because you don't often think of the whole story. Where is Jonah sitting at waiting? He's sitting outside of Mosul, Iraq. If you know where Mosul, Iraq is, it's in the middle of a very large desert. And according to the text, it appears to be the heat of summer during this time. So it's 100 plus degrees as Jonah sits out there waiting to watch the city burn. He's just going to sweat it out. In verse 6, it says, the Lord God provided a leafy plant made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy. Finally, he was very happy about the plant. (laughs) Here's God once again saving Jonah. It's crazy. It's simple. He's allowing Jonah to once again experience the mercy and the grace of God in the simplest of ways through providing shade in this intense heat. God had delivered Jonah from all his discomfort But the plant was designed to do a lot more than just that. God was also working to deliver Jonah from this sinful attitude that he was sitting there with. And Jonah's response to the message from God spared the wrath. Nineveh's response to the message from God, it spared the wrath that they deserved. Well, now Jonah was being shielded from the wrath that truly his attitude deserved, the life-threatening heat of the desert. And it says Jonah was happy about the plant. Jonah rejoiced for the shade, but he was angry with God over the salvation of Nineveh. (laughs) Think of the differences between those two perspectives. So what did God do? Well, God tried to teach him yet another lesson, and he took away his comfort in verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. 
It is, Jonah said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. <laughs> I can only see the VeggieTales version, I'm sorry. If you've never seen Jonah, you should watch it, but I just see Archibald right now. Anyway, um, I should have said that with a British accent, I'm sorry. Um, my bad. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight, and should I not have concern? For the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. That's a curious throwaway line, but it's important. From the beginning, Jonah knew that God was a God of kindness and of compassion. The word he uses in chapter 4, verse 2, translated abounding in love. The actual Hebrew word there is H-E-S-E-D. There's a million different ways to pronounce it. Hesed. Is usually the most common. But that word is used more than 240 times in the Old Testament. And it's always describing God's incredible obligation, his loyal love to his people, and his willingness to provide whatever Israel was lacking. The word represents God's covenant with Israel, the relationship he has sworn to them. Jonah doesn't believe that this type of relationship is even possible for the Ninevites. He doesn't want to admit that this is actually the true nature of God's covenant given to Abraham, that it would extend out beyond the lineage of Abraham. Yes, it will, quite far, actually. God used Jonah to reach Nineveh. He's gone on now to use Israel to reach the entire world with his love, grace, and forgiveness through Jesus, his son. And Jonah 4.2 shows us that when God places his affection upon a group of people, we should expect there to be conversion amongst those people. The essential nature of God and the mission that he has in this world should be a powerful motivation for us as well as a source of confidence as we try to fulfill the great commission that Jesus left for us. I've shared with you throughout this entire series that my prayer is that God can take the story of Jonah and remove it from that context, if you will, and make the story about us. How can we avoid the trap or the intentional route that Jonah took away from God's plan for his life without changing the meaning of the text in any way? God can use the story, the example of Jonah and the conversion of the Ninevites to challenge us in this world in incredible, incredible ways. So as a Christian can today, here's our problem. We can easily lose focus of who we are as a Christian, first and foremost, and secondly, of whose we are and what God has given us to do in this world. We can come to think that, hey, we are blessed to be in the family of God. You know what? You're right. We are. Absolutely, we are. But there's more to it than that. We are part of this family because of His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness, His loving kindness, not because of who we are or anything that I have to bring to the table. It's all because of who He is. And He has a purpose for each and every one of us. So God would ask you and I the same question He asked Jonah, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Should I not have concern with the 8,000 people in Brazil, Indiana, for the community in which we live? Should I, I not have concern for the incredible country that you're a part of, for the world during these trying times? Should God not have concern? No, He's more than concerned. 
He says he gave these words, his words to the prophet Jonah. He took it a step further and he went beyond words, didn't he? He went to person and he sent his son Jesus to prove his concern for this lost and dying world that's all around us. And church, we can't grow complacent because we have. We can't fall asleep below deck like Jonah was, pretending there was nothing wrong with the situation. We have to go. We can't run away from our responsibilities any longer. The command that Jesus gave us to go. Whenever we come to think that somebody is beyond God's love, think about that. Or they've committed acts so vile that they will forever be separated from God. If we ever get to the point where we're starting to think that way, then it's time to return to the book of Jonah. Read it very quickly. It's four chapters. It would take you no time. When we begin to reduce God's response to human sin as just judgment and no mercy, then we need to open up the book of Jonah. Invite the Spirit of the Lord back into your life to cleanse us from our self-interest, from our pride, from our contentment, from our uncaring attitudes, and return to the Lord of love. It's the story of Jonah. If you're not yet a believer and you've not given your life to Him then I can't tell you, you're, you're in a better, you couldn't possibly be in a better place than you are right here, right now. Hearing about this conversion, anyone, anytime, anywhere can accept the love of Jesus Christ. Even if you don't think God can use you, even if you don't think, if you think that maybe you've missed your chance in days gone by, you didn't go when God wanted you to go, you didn't reach out when God wanted you to reach out. If that is your idea, if you think you missed the moment, then here's what I want you to do. Forget about it. Completely forget about it because that is Satan reminding you of your failure. And God says, forget about your failure. I'm your future. Let's go together. Jesus died to give you another chance. Now you just got to make the most of it. Our goal, our role is to help to come right alongside and help you. Join us in this mission to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10, it's one of the simplest verses in the Bible. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, period. That's his mission, beginning and end right there, it's done. That's our mission to this very day. God can take our messes and make a message out of it. And here is the coolest part, because we live in America and we have to have all the answers to all the questions. Here you go. You don't have to figure out what it is that God wants you to do. When you come to him, you don't have to sit back and figure, okay, God, now, now what do you want me to do? Here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to focus your attention on reaching out to other people. That's what he wants you to do. It's very, very simple. Whether it's missions or evangelism, whatever you want to call it, loving other people with his love and sharing your story, that's what he wants you to do. The end of story. God wants you to be on mission for him so that someone, someone might come to know Jesus as their savior. That's it. That doesn't sound complicated because it's not. God wants you to be on mission for him so that someone, anyone, can come to know Jesus as their Savior. Jonah ran away from this responsibility only to find out that you can't run away from God. We can run too, and many of us have for many, many years. We can run as far away as we want, but if you're a Christian, then God wants you to take that good news to those around you. We don't have to pray about that. We don't have to ask God, do you want me to take the good news? No, you don't have to ever ask that question. He's already said go and do it. Another pastor said it this way, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to put your yes on the table. Yes, God, I will tell people and let God put your yes on the map, wherever that might be. In other words, tell God you're willing to go and then just let him lead. 
As I was preparing this a few weeks ago, I got, I got a quote. I get quotes all the time emailed to me. I got this one, and I really liked it, so I want to share it with you. It says this, you don't need to know where you're going if God is leading. You ever wondered where you're going in life? Maybe it's because God's not leading you. You don't have to wonder where you're going when God's leading. You can trust in that. You don't need to know where you're going if you know that God is the one leading you. Now, some might ask, who said that? Well, it's the famous, famous theologian, Toby Mac. That's right. And for those of you that know who Toby Mac is, you know how awesome it is. I just got to quote Toby Mac in a sermon, all right? So just, just trust me on that one, okay? There's so many lessons in Jonah, and most of the ones that you've probably been taught throughout your history, we didn't even touch. We didn't even touch. God's grace greater than all our sins, absolutely, no matter what they are. The redemption of Nineveh demonstrates that individuals as well as entire populations can turn to God, and he excitedly welcomes them in. So if you're not with him yet today, now's the time. Today's the day. Meet him. Don't wait any longer. You can run as far as you want. You can try, but as you run, you're only going to run through him. And as you run, he's going to be running right alongside you on your way to him because he's already there. He loves you that much. And to help people understand that is essential. If you're a believer, if you're a believer but you have grown content because it's easy to do in our country where our needs are met, and you grow content with God's grace and God's love in your own life, and you don't seem to have that desire to share the indescribable a gift with those around you, then today is the day to repent, to repent of that sinful heart, to officially say yes to God's mission for you. You might have said yes to God's grace, his mercy, his salvation for you many, many years ago, but have you said yes to his mission for you today? Get out of the fish. Stop sleeping in the storm and go to Nineveh. God will use you in ways you can't even imagine, ways to reach your family. Parents, you've got kids. Some of them aren't really of the faith any longer. Will you reach out to them today? Here's something I hear all the time. I hear grandparents telling me all the time about going to this event and that event and that sport event and that choir cut, driving all over the state and beyond to go to their grandchildren's event. And you know what? That is awesome. Your kids gave you a schedule. They invited you to, into their lives to go to these events and be a part of these things with your grandkids, and that is awesome. My question is, when was the last time you returned the favor and you invited them in to church? How many of you are bringing your grandkids to VBS this next week? It's a great, great that we support them, and we should in their band and their choir and in their sports. Absolutely, but what if we never tell them the truth of Jesus? <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> you see, God will use you in mighty ways to reach your coworkers, your neighbors, your strangers, people you meet at a store or restaurant. We just have to be willing to answer the call. God ends, the, the book of Jonah ends in such a mysterious way. We, there's no resolution to this book at all. And you've got to read it that way, and it should create and stir something within you. I think it was left that way on purpose. If you just read it and dismiss it, then I don't think you've got the purpose. He ends his conversation by asking Jonah a question. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand 
from their left. We live in a culture right now where probably some of you sit around, you watch the news, you see the headlines, you ask, what are those people thinking? Don't they know? And the answer is no, they're not thinking, and no, they don't know. They don't have it. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know truth at all. So your questions are correct, but what are we doing about it? He asks us the exact same question today. Should I not have concern for your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father? Should I not have concern about your boss? Yeah, that's a hard one if your boss sucks, doesn't it? It's terrible. Does God have concern for your immoral, illegal boss? Yes, absolutely he does. Does he have concern for your coworker that's stealing? Absolutely. Does he have concern for your neighbor that's just too loud and their yard's a mess? Hey, some of you talked about your neighbors, I'm just saying. Should I not have concern for the homosexual? Should I not have concern for the transgender person? Should I not have concern for the atheist, for the murderer, fill in the blank, the drug addict, whatever? Should I not have concern for? Who? Who doesn't God have concern for? Right? That's us. Paul writes these words to remind us that God had concern for us before we knew him. Some of you know this passage, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. <laughs> we're filled with a world, a bunch of sinners, we were just like them. Christ died for them too. It's the message of Jonah. Does God still have concern? <laughs> Absolutely. Father God, I pray that your spirit will convict us of our failure to fulfill your great command to us of our ability to look at the lost and dying world around us, make it as personal as we can, to look at our neighbors, to look at our family members, and to somehow be able to look at them and not be concerned about their eternity. How can we do that? How can we do that? Father, you remind us with that simple verse that you are concerned about them, and you have given us, you placed us in this moment, in this space, in this time in history, in this community, in this neighborhood, in this job, wherever it is you've placed us, you've put us here right now, and there are people around us who do not know your love yet, who have never heard your truth, who don't know their right hand from their left because no one's ever told them that there's a difference, and you've given us the grace and the mercy and the kindness to share those eternal words with them. And we've got to be ready. I love that passage, 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an account for the hope that I have in me. I've got to be able to share that with anyone who asks, and I've got to do it with compassion and love, not with judgment and condemnation. May we be a church, may we be a family that does that in this community. May we be reaching out daily to those that don't know. This week, we got a great chance. What a superficial, easy way to start a conversation with a stranger that's walking with kids. Hey, do you need something for your kids to do tonight? Hey, our church is doing this thing. We even feed them dinner. We'd love for you to have them join us. So many ways, opportunities you give us to share your love with others. I pray that we make the most of it. And as a church, we never lose focus of the mission that Jonah was sent on. As we carry your word to the community around us, we know you care for us deeply. Let us be reminded that you care for every human being in the same way.
Father, if there's any contempt in our heart for another person, for the way they live, for who they are outside of Christ, may we repent of that and beg for forgiveness and an opportunity to reach out to that person today. Father, we love you.